Uh, it's a souvenir. 50 book. years of sports statistics. Hardly recreational or reading material, Marty. Well, hey, Doc, and what's the harm in bringing back a uh, little info on the future? Now, maybe we could place a couple bets. Marty, I did invent the time machine for financial gain. The intent here is to gain a clear perception of humanity. Where we've been, where we're going, the pitfalls and the possibilities, the perils and the promise. Perhaps even an answer to that universal question. Why? Hey, Doc, I'm all for that. What's wrong with making a few bucks on the side? Morning. Wouldn't it be awesome if we could actually predict the future? Wouldn't that be great? Would you like that? I mean, if you like knew today what stock to buy that's going to, you know, really soar tomorrow or, you know, are you guys like me? Are you ready for football season? Is anybody else besides me ready? I mean, how many of you all play fantasy football? You play fantasy football, okay. Uh, we're getting ready for our draft tonight. And wouldn't it be great if you could predict the future of your players that you're going to choose for fantasy football to know that you're going to win your league? Or wouldn't it be great if we could predict the future and know right now that the Broncos are going to go to the Super Bowl again this year, but this time they're going to win? Wouldn't that be nice? Or wouldn't it be great if we could predict the future and know that maybe one of these days, just maybe the Rockies will be relevant again in our city? Wouldn't that be great if we could know that? Well, we can't predict the future. We wish we could, but we can't. But you know what? I know somebody who can, and that's God. He, he knows the beginning from the end, and not only can he predict the future, but he's put a lot of the future in the Bible. Things that are going to happen in the future, things that have happened, he's predicted in the past that have come true. And so we're going to continue to look at some future events today. If you haven't already, uh, take out your Bibles, your mobile devices, turn to Mark chapter 13. Because Mark chapter 13, Jesus is in a, a discussion with his disciples and it takes us back 2,000 years ago to this discussion where they, we learn about some future events that we believe we're seeing happen right before our very eyes uh, today. Uh, this is all part of our summer series called Greatest Hits and we're pulling out a three-part series I did a couple years ago called Back to the Future because we love to know about the future and future events. We also love to know about the future things that are talked about in the Bible. Things like the rapture and the tribulation and the second coming of Christ and the end of the world and, and Jesus has told us about these events in the future in the scripture. Uh, we know that people love this subject because do you remember the Left Behind series? How many of you guys read the Left Behind books? I mean those sold millions and millions and millions of copies. Uh, there's now a movie being made. I think Nicolas Cage is in it. We'll We'll see how that goes with the books, but people are interested in this stuff, and that's what we're talking about these three weeks, and the reason we're doing this is because the Bible is a book of prophecies, where God predicts something 10, 100,000 years before it's going to happen, and then it comes true, and as we said last week, the Bible has never been wrong one time on any of its predictions of the future, and when we're thinking about future predictions and future events in the Bible, there's one future prediction and future event that the Bible talks about more than any other event event. And you know what that event is? It's the second coming of Jesus Christ. When he will literally come back to this earth, he'll set foot on the Mount of Olives, and he'll rule and reign for a thousand years. The Bible talks about that event more than any other event. I want you to understand this, church, that the return of Jesus Christ is not fringe teaching in the Bible. It's fundamental teaching. Can I have an amen? Amen. I mean, when you read your Bible, if you start reading from cover to cover, Genesis to Revelation, it talks about that event more than anything else, the return of Christ, the end of the world. Did you know that the Bible talks 800 times more about the second coming of Christ than it did about the first coming of Christ? 
You know, we, we at Christmas celebrate the time Jesus came the first time, and I think we should, and that's a great event. But the Bible talks 800 more times about his second coming than his first coming. And the disciples knew this. And so the disciples are in this, this discussion with Jesus about future events. And they're wanting to know, when is the second coming? When are you going to rule and reign? When are you going to bring in your literal kingdom? And that's the discussion we looked at last week, starting in Mark chapter 13, verse 1 through 9. And the disciples are asking Jesus this question. Look at it in verse 4. They said, Jesus, tell us, when will all these things be in the future? About your second coming, the end of the world. And what will be the sign? Everybody say, the sign. What will be the sign when all these things will be fulfilled? And in Matthew's gospel, it says they ask the question, what will be the, the sign of your coming and the end of the age? There is a sign, a particular sign that, that, that they're talking about here. Now, they thought the sign had to do with the destruction of the temple, but Jesus takes the rest of the chapter and lets them know that when the temple was destroyed in 70 AD, that wasn't the sign. It would be something coming later that we're, we're going to be talking about. And Jesus is going to answer this question about future events, about the second coming of Christ and the end of the world around three time periods. What happens before the tribulation, during the tribulation, and after the tribulation? Now, now last week we just started talking about what happens leading up to the tribulation, that seven-year period of time leading up to the second coming of Christ that we'll talk more about today. I want to give you a visual because a picture's worth a thousand words because I want you guys to get this. We put this up last week, and this is kind of a tribulation events timeline, a panoramic view. We start over here on the left. Since Jesus Christ died on the cross, was buried, rose again, went back to heaven, the church was started, and we're living the last 2,000 years, we're living in what we call the church age. That's the time period. The next prophetic future event, I believe, on God's time calendar, according to the Bible, is an event called the rapture of the church. You can read about it in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. You can read about it in the first of Revelation, where believers in Jesus Christ all over this earth will be caught up. That's what the word rapture means. Will be caught up to meet Jesus where, church? In the air, in the sky, in the clouds. He's, the first time, he's not going to come back to the earth. We're going to meet him in the air. We're going to be caught up. And I believe the Bible tells us that that will trigger then a seven-year period of tribulation on this earth. And you can read all about that in Revelation. And then it's at the end of that seven-year tribulation that the literal second coming of Jesus Christ takes place. You can read about that in Revelation 19 and throughout the Bible. And so that gets our bearings. Last week we looked at before. This week we're looking at what happens during the tribulation. Next week we're looking at what happens after the tribulation. Does that help you get our bearings? Okay, that's what we're talking about, these events. And understanding that the rapture of the church is a different event than the second coming of Jesus Christ that happens seven years later. If that makes sense, say yes. Okay, so last week we talked about what happens before the tribulation. How do we know if we're getting close to the rapture of the church and before the tribulation? Jesus said, you know there's going to be wars and rumors of wars and earthquakes and famines and trouble. And he, and he said, that's not the sign. The end is not yet. But it's indicators we're getting closer to the sign. And remember Jesus used some language that we could understand to, to illustrate this for us. He said those things, wars, rumors of wars, and, and famines, and troubles, and things like that, they're like a mother who is pregnant who is going into labor. And the more frequent and intense the labor pains, the closer we know we are to the baby arriving. 
And so those are the things we looked at last week. If you weren't here, I highly encourage you to go to our website, Orchard Church TV. It's up there. You can watch it. You can listen to it. Catch up on that part. But remember what Jesus said. None of those things in and of themselves are the sign. They're just indicators. We're getting closer. And I thought, how can I say this in a way that you guys understand it? And I thought, well, Jesus already did with the, the pregnancy and, and so what is the sign when you know the baby's definitely coming? It's not just, you know, uh, there's a contraction here or there, but when they're intense and they're frequent. But you know what? When the water breaks, right? That's the sign. We got to get to the hospital, you know, or it happens in the hospital. We're, we're having a baby today. If the water breaks, that's the sign. Today, we're going to see the water break, okay? We're going to see the sign. Are you guys ready for this? The, the sign. What is the sign that Jesus is about to come back? Can we know for sure? Is the Bible specific? And I believe the answer is yes. So today we're going to look at what happens during the tribulation where the sign takes place. And I know you guys have been excited. Now, as I thought about this, showing you the sign today, actually, as I prayed and thought about this, I think I'd rather wait one more week and then <laughs> to get you back. No, we're going to see it today. All right, here it is. You ready for the sign? Here, here is the sign. Jesus gives it to his disciples, beginning in verse 14. We ended at verse 13 last week. We said these are all the in indicators we're getting close. Wars, rumors of wars, troubles, famines. But now Jesus is going to tell his disciples and us what the sign is. And when the world sees this happen, this event, you can, I believe you can count down to the very day of the literal second coming of Jesus Christ. Now, I believe we're already gone. The church has already been raptured. So what is the sign? Verse 14. Here it is. Jesus says, so when you see the abomination of desolation, underline that, star that in your Bible. There's, this is the sign. When you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing where it ought not, let the reader understand. And it's interesting. Mark is the writer of this. And if you have a red letter Bible, Jesus is speaking. And then Mark like takes out a black pen and he's like, you know, hey, readers, pay attention to this. Guess who he's thinking of when he says, let the readers understand this. That's us that are reading this today. He was already thinking about the future. He says, pay attention to this abomination of desolation. Then let those who are in Judea, that's those, you know, in Israel, flee to the mountains. Let him who is on the housetop not go down to the house, nor enter to take anything out of his house. And let him who is in the field, this is Jesus speaking, not go back in to get his clothes. But woe to those who are pregnant, to those who are nursing babies in those days when this happens. And pray that your flight may not be in winter, for in those days there will be, what church? Tribulation. Everybody say tribulation. tribulation. We're right in the middle of the tribulation now. There shall be tribulation such as not been since the beginning of creation, which God created until this time, nor ever shall be. And unless the Lord had shortened those days, no flesh would be saved. But as we're going to see today, God does shorten those days. There's a specific amount of time. But for the elect's sake, this is the Jews and, the, and those that get saved during the tribulation, whom he chose, he shortened the days. Then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or look, he is there, do not believe it. He says, I haven't come back yet. For false Christ and false prophets will rise and show signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. But take heed, I have told you all these things before. So there you go. The sign that the second coming is about to take place is the abomination of desolation. Let's pray. You got it, right? No, maybe a few of you. But most of you, you're like, okay, that didn't help me. What, 
in the world is the abomination of desolation. And Jesus throws it out there to his disciples like they know what he's talking about. You know why? They did. Because they were Jews. They knew the Old Testament. They knew the law. And this is an event that had been talked about and detailed. But we as New Testament Christians, we focus on the rapture of the church. And that's what we, we know about that. But we're like, what is this abomination of desolation thing? We got to dig around a little bit. Now, let me tell you what, what it is. And then, and then we're going to kind of unpack this. And, and you have this in your notes. Now, let me say this. If there was ever a Sunday to take notes here at Orchard Church, this is the Sunday. I had somebody last week said, you know, why do people take notes in church? And I know some people, they keep them, they put them in binders, they refer to them. But here's the deal. Uh, education studies will tell you that if you write something down and take notes, you'll remember 50% more of it, even if you never look at it again. So this is a great week to take notes. And you have this in your notes. The key sign that Jesus is about to physically return to the earth and establish his millennial kingdom for a thousand years is an event called the abomination of desolation. But now we got to figure out what is that. We don't understand most of us. What is the abomination of desolation? Jesus doesn't give us the details. But he gives us a great clue and a place to look. Because notice what he says here in verse 14. So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken by who, church? Daniel, the prophet. How many of you all have a book in your Bible called Daniel? That might be a good place for us to go take a peek. Let's go there. Hold your place in Mark and turn to Daniel chapter 9 verse 24. Because Jesus says, Daniel the prophet talked about the abomination of desolation. He, he already talked about it. He already taught about it. He already gave you the details. So let's go and let's unpack this and figure out what this is. Now as you're going there to Daniel chapter 9 verse 24 is where we'll start. About this prophecy of future events, this abomination of desolation. The sign leading up to the second coming of Jesus Christ you need to understand, Daniel is praying about the end times. He's not praying about the rapture of the church. He's praying about the second coming of Jesus Christ and the end of the world. 1,600 years before Jesus has arrived the first time, he's already praying and thinking about when he's going to come the second time. And, and there's no time to go into all the great details of this prophecy, but I'm going to give you kind of the highlights today, the Reader's Digest version, the cliff notes. Now, let me give you a little disclaimer. This is much deeper than we normally go on a Sunday morning here at Orchard Church. As a matter of fact, when I was in Bible college, I had professors, when it came to things like this, that would say, now, you need to understand this as a pastor, but don't even try to teach this to your people. Your ch church people can't get this. Don't try to teach this on a Sunday morning. People can't understand it. They can't get it. But I say, they don't know Orchard Church people. I believe in you guys, and I believe you can get this, and I believe you can understand this, and I believe that many of you will walk out of here today understanding this event better than most Christians do and better than even some pastors do, and I believe you guys can get this. Do you believe it? Say yes. So let's, let's look at this. Now here's the context. The, this prophecy, this future prediction about the second coming of Christ and the abomination of desolation applies, you got to get this, specifically to Israel, to Jerusalem, to the temple, and to Messiah's return. This is not talking about the rapture of the church, because I believe that happens before this event during, because remember we saw it on the timeline, the rapture happens and then the tribulation begins. And this event happens during this tribulation period. The Jews would have got this, but most of us don't. So what is this abomination of desolation, this, this incredible prophecy of Daniel? Let's read it. 
Daniel chapter 9, verse 24. Seventy weeks are determined for your people. Who are God's chosen people? Israel. That's who this is about. For your people and for your holy city. Where's the holy city? Jerusalem. This is, this is a Jewish prophecy. To finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy about the future, and to anoint the most holy. You know what that's a reference to? The second coming of Jesus Christ when he will rule and reign. You see, when Jesus Christ came the first time, he did not come to take up his throne. He came to lay down his life. And he laid down his life and he was crucified for you and I to forgive our sins. But when Jesus comes the second time, he is coming to take up his throne to rule and reign and get the honor and glory he did not get the first time. That's what Daniel's talking about. That's what, that's what the Bible is pointing towards. We're going to talk all about that day and that event when that happens next week. You do not want to miss it. Verse 25, he goes on and says, Now therefore, and understand, here's the prophecy. That from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, capital P. Okay, let me help some of you guys. This is not talking about the guy that had cool dance music in the 80s and sang Purple Rain. This is Jesus, the Prince. Until Messiah the Prince, there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. Very specific. The streets shall be built again in the wall, even in troublesome times. And after 62 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off or crucified, but not for himself. He did it for us. And then the people of the prince who is to come. Notice this is a different prince in your Bible. What is different about this prince than the other prince? Small p. This is not talking about Jesus. This is talking about the Antichrist. And then the prince of the people who is to come shall destroy the city of Jerusalem and the sanctuary, the temple. The end of it shall be with the flood until the end, the end of time and the second coming of Christ of the war, of the war desolations are determined. Now he's starting to use the language that Jesus used, the abomination of desolation. Then he, small h, the Antichrist, shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. But in the middle of that week, he shall bring an end to, the, end to the sacrifice and offering. And in the wing, watch this, of abominations shall be one who makes desolate. The abomination of desolation. The sign is going to take place. Even until the consummation which is determined is poured out on the desolate. You got it, right? Cool. Okay, let's unpack this a little bit. This needs some explanation. And you guys can get this. Get this in your notes. Verse 24 starts out, and Daniel's prophecy, this prophecy is about 70, what church? Weeks. This word weeks is the Hebrew Shavuah, and it means a period of seven years. We know there's seven days in a week, and each day represents a year. It's hard for us to see this in our language. This is translated from the Hebrew. In the Hebrew language, the Shavuah, it's, it means years. So it's 70 Years or 70 times seven. Some of your translation of your Bibles will say 70 sets of seven or 70 sevens. So this prophecy of Daniel about the second coming of Christ and the end times, verse 24, it's 70 weeks or 70 times what? Seven. 70 times seven, if you do the math, is what? 490, not weeks, not days, but 490 years. Everybody say 490 years. That's what this prophecy involves. 
But it gets a little more challenging because this prophecy of 490 years until the second coming of Jesus Christ is broken down into three parts. These 490 years, 70 weeks, 70 times 7. If you're with me so far, say yes. We've got a prophecy that's lasting 490 years. Daniel gives you the details of the three parts of this prophecy. And this picture on the screen will help you. We'll follow from left to right. It says in verse 25, the first part of the prophecy involves seven weeks. Or seven times what, church? Seven years. Seven times seven years is 49. You guys got your math. 49 years. Okay, what does verse 25 say that's going to happen in this 49-year period? That Jerusalem would be rebuilt. Well, did that happen in history? Yes, it did. In 445 BC, Artaxerxes gave the command for the Jews to go back and rebuild their walls and their temple. Guess how long history tells us it took? 49 years. So that prophecy was fulfilled, just like Daniel said it would be. But we still got some years left of this 490 years prophecy. So far, we've just got 49 years. Verse 26 says, there will be tw- and then after 62 weeks, Messiah will be cut off or Messiah will be crucified. So 62 times 7 is 434 years. Everybody say 434. What's going to happen after 434 years later? Jesus is going to arrive on the scene, but he's going to be cut off. He's going to be crucified. So now we have a total of 49 years that happened. Add that to the 434 years, that's 483. Would you agree? 483 years of Daniel's 490-year prophecy has already happened, just like Daniel said it would happen. We know this because from the day that Artaxerxes said they could rebuild the temple and the walls, if you go 173,800 days, that's a total of 483 Jewish years. And on April 6th, 32 AD, on our calendar, that's the day Jesus rode in Jerusalem. And that was the week that began his arrest and his crucifixion. Just like Daniel said was going to happen. Now, some of you are going to try to do the math and, and you're going to say, these numbers don't add up from, you know, the, the, the beginning of the command till when Jesus was crucified because you're going to work from our calendar. And we work on what's called the Gregorian calendar. And we know that we have how many days to a year? You're close. 365.25. Because every four years we have a leap year. So you have to build that in. So we have 365.25 to our calendar the Gregorian calendar. The Jews do not use the Gregorian calendar. The Bible doesn't use the Gregorian calendar. It uses the Jewish calendar. And it is always 360 days to the year. And so when you do the math according to the Jewish calendar and this Jewish prophecy, it comes out to exactly 483 years. So 483 years of Daniel's prophecy has already occurred. But 483 from 490 leaves how many years, church? Seven years. There's seven years left to this prophecy. And Daniel gives us a little clue about the final seven years. Because notice what he says in verse 26 at the end of the verse. Until the end of the war, desolations are determined. Until the end. In other words, 483 years of this prophecy are going to happen. But then there's going to be some time until the end. There's going to be some time that's going to pass. There's going to be a gap. There's going to be a parenthesis. And you see this on the screen. Verse uh, 26, the last part, I believe is talking about the gap of the church age that we're living in. 
And aren't you thankful for the church age, the gap? Because that's how we've come to Christ. Jesus came unto his own, the Jews, they received him not, he turned to the Gentiles. And now everyone can be saved. And we've been living in this church age gap until the end, until the last seven years are fulfilled. And, and Daniel said that this gap would begin at the destruction of the temple. The, the second time it was destroyed. And in 70 AD, we know history tells us that the Romans came in and they destroyed the temple. And Israel then has been waiting during this gap. Let me explain it like this. Because we still, seven years, Israel's still waiting on the final seven years of this prophecy to be fulfilled. If that makes sense, say yes. So what's going on in this gap? Because we've kind of been in this gap for 2,000 years. Daniel let us know there was going to be a gap. He didn't tell us how long it was going to be, but he said there's going to be one. And it's, it's kind of like this. How many of y'all have a DVR? DVR? Raise your hand. Raise your hand. Okay. Greatest invention man has ever come up with, in my opinion, the DVR. You can watch, you can be watching a movie, watching a television show, watching a sporting event, and then maybe you get a phone call, somebody comes to the door, your kids need attention, you can put it on pause. Go answer the door, answer the phone, do your thing, however long you need to take, and then you come back to your DVR, and you push play, and you pick up right there as if nothing happened. That is what is happening with this prophecy of Daniel. 483 years played out. The Jews rejected Jesus, so God prophetically put Daniel's prophecy on pause, put it on hold, and it's been on hold for some 2,000 years. But make no mistake about it, church, just as the 483 years was fulfilled, do you believe God's going to fulfill the final seven years? Absolutely. And there's a day coming where he's going to push play again with Israel, with that nation, and the final seven years are going to play out. We know those, that time as the tribulation. That's what Jesus was referring to. And we know that because look what Daniel said. After this gap, verse 27, then he, the Antichrist, shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. One week represents how many years, church? Seven years. Someone's going to make a covenant with Israel for peace. And then God's going to push play again. Do you see the need for somebody to show up on the scene in our world today to make a covenant of peace? Turn on your news. It's all around us. So you could see this on the chart, how this plays out and where we're at, and we're waiting for these final seven years. Now, here's what I believe the Bible teaches. Let's put, put this all together. The signing of this seven-year peace treaty with Israel will begin the last seven years of Daniel's prophecy, known as the tribulation period. But the apparent peace that the Antichrist is going to bring Israel and the world will be short-lived. We know that because look what Daniel says is going to happen in verse 27. But in the middle of the week or the middle of the seven-year period, he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering and he's going to commit the abomination of desolation. So three and a half, the first three and a half years, it's going to seem peaceful and everybody's going to think this Antichrist is the new savior of the world. But then in the middle of that seven years, in the middle of the week, in the middle of the seven years, the Antichrist is going to break this covenant with Israel and he's going to take over their Jewish temple. And when he takes over the temple, he commits the abomination of desolation that Daniel's talking about and that Jesus talked about. And, and he, this is where he demands that the world worship him. Later you can read about the details of this event in Revelation chapter 13. 
I like the way that, that Paul describes it. It really helps us to understand what is this abomination of desolation the Antichrist is going to commit. What, what is he basically going to do in the Jewish temple in the middle of the tribulation? And listen to what Paul says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3. He says, let no one deceive you by any means. Don't let them fool you of following the wrong Christ. For that day, the second coming, will not come unless the falling away comes first, and then the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition. Guess who that is, church? The Antichrist, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God, but he's not. That is the abomination of desolation. And the abomination of desolation is an idolatrous desecration of the Jewish temple by the Antichrist. And once the Antichrist performs the abomination of desolation in the middle of the seven years of tribulation in the temple, the second three and a half years of the seven years will be fulfilled, known as the Great Tribulation. And Jesus says when the Jews and when the world sees that happen, you can count down to the day of the second coming of Jesus Christ. Now again, as believers in Jesus today, the church, I don't believe we're going to be here. I believe we were raptured seven years before. But here's the deal. These, so now do you feel like you understand the sign a little bit better? Say yes. Now you may be thinking, okay, why is that important to us today as New Testament Christians? I mean, if we're going to be raptured anyway, and we're going to be caught up, and we're not going to be here Why do we need to be worried about it? Why do we need to focus on it? Because if we see things today leading up to what might bring about the abomination of desolation, we know we're that much closer to the rapture of the church. If that makes sense, say yes. But here's the deal. And now here's where it gets really practical for us today. These prophecies about Israel and the Jewish people and the Jewish temple pose some challenges. Because just like Daniel said, there would be a time where the Jewish temple would be destroyed. And in 70 AD, history tells us, in 70 AD, the Romans came into Jerusalem and they destroyed the Jewish temple. And not only that, but they drove the Jews from their homeland. And for 1900 years, the Jewish people had no temple and no homeland and they were scattered throughout the earth. And Bible theologians and secular historians will tell you that what has happened to the nation of Israel is one of the most supernatural events that the world has ever witnessed. Because no other ethnic group on the face of this earth has ever been driven for their homeland for more than 150 years or five generations and ever retained their identity. Except for one. And that's the nation of Israel. God's people. And for, in order for this prophecy of Daniel to be fulfilled, the Jewish people have to be a nation. They have to be in their homeland. And we went 1,900 years with no temple, no homeland, and no nation of Israel. This was so confusing to some Bible scholars that they thought we had misinterpreted Daniel's prophecy. Some Bible scholars even said, this must just be a spiritual thing and not a literal thing. Until May 14th, 1948. Some of you remember what happened. Will not have you raise your hand. May 14th, 1948, because of the Balfour Declaration from Europe, 
the nation of Israel was awarded their homeland once again. And as I say that, I get goosebumps. Something that nobody thought would ever happen, it's never happened in the history of the world, happened after 1,900 years, setting the stage for this prophecy to be fulfilled because now they're in a nation and they're in their homeland again. And since that date, 7.5 million Jews have returned to their homeland, gathering as a nation, gathering as a nation. Now, I know what some of you are thinking, but this abomination of desolation has to happen in a temple. And even though they're a nation again and they're back in their homeland, you may be surprised by this, some of you, they don't have a temple. There's a temple mount. And when we see Jerusalem on the TV, they show it all the time. And a lot of you see, you know, that, that, that building with the gold dome on it. And people think that's the Jewish temple. That's not the Jewish temple, y'all. That is a Muslim temple. That's the Dome of the Rock, one of the most holy sites of the Islamic people. And they're fighting to keep the Jews off that temple. So, yes, they're a nation, but they don't have a temple. How can Daniel's prophecy be fulfilled if there's no temple for the Antichrist to go in and desecrate. There's no temple yet. In the Washington Post on May 21st, 1967, was this article. To all persons of the Jewish faith all over the world, a project to rebuild the temple of God in Israel is now being started. With divine guidance and help, the temple will be completed. Fast forward 20 years, 1987, there was an organization of what is called the templeinstitute.org. You can go look it up. It's active on the internet. The templeinstitute.org was founded to prepare the Jewish people to rebuild the temple. And they haven't gotten permission yet, but they will, I believe, soon. They haven't got permission yet, but they're preparing the priest to do their priestly duties in the Jewish temple. They're preparing and gathering the furniture for the Jewish temple. They're preparing the garments according to biblical specifications of the temple. They even had the red heifer that is supposed to cleanse the Jewish temple. They've got all the pieces. They're just ready to be able to be allowed on the stage of the Temple Mount. They've already got the plans for the Jewish temple. They've already got the engineers, the construction, all of it. And if that's not enough, the Temple Institute in the last two years in Jerusalem, in the nation of Israel, have launched a full-scale media campaign on the internet, on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram, and on national television. They made three commercials. And the theme is called, The Children Are Ready. And they're playing it nationwide in Israel right now. Here's one of the commercials.
Well, does that get your attention or what? Is that amazing? Do you see how close we may be to all these events taking place? Israel becomes a nation in 1948. Plans are being made to rebuild the temple. And again, that's all leading up to the second coming of Christ. I believe we back up seven years to the rapture of the church. And the stage is being set for the sign to take place. And what Jesus says and what Daniel tells us is, you can set a clock to the countdown of the abomination of desolation to Jesus' return. Now, we don't know when the rapture is going to happen. Jesus says no man knows the day or the hour. We don't know now. But when these events begin to unfold, they're very detailed in the scriptures. I've given you some other references. Revelation chapter 11, 12, 13 lets you know that after the abomination of desolation, there'll be three and a half years or 32 months and then the second coming of Jesus Christ. And Jesus tells his disciples, the Jews, the sign of my return is the abomination of desolation. Be ready. Be ready. Now, how can we be ready? How can we, as the church, as Christians, be ready, knowing where we're involved in this with the rapture before the tribulation takes place? And I think there's a couple of very practical things I want to close with. You know, if we really believe that Jesus Christ is coming soon, and, and, and listen, I know people have been saying this since Jesus left, but we're seeing things before our very eyes that have to get our attention, church. And Jesus might not come back in our lifetime. It may be in the next generation or the next generation. But I would rather live in anticipation and believing Jesus may be coming than be surprised and not be ready. And I, I think if we believe that Jesus' may, return may be very near, I think, number one, it ought to have a purifying effect on our lives. That we want to make sure we're right with Jesus. If we don't know Jesus as our Lord and Savior, that we accept him. If we do, that we're living in right fellowship with him. That we're not going to be surprised or ashamed by something we're doing or not doing to be pleasing to Jesus when he comes. John said in 1 John 3, 2, but we know that when he, Jesus is revealed, when he comes back, we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him that Jesus is gonna come back, what does he do? He purifies himself just as he is pure. We get ready, we get prepared. I, I believe one of the reasons that Jesus didn't tell us exactly when he was gonna return because we don't know when the rapture is gonna happen that's going to trigger all these events, is because you know what we would do if we knew exactly when it was going to be? We would procrastinate, wouldn't we? We'd go, ah, clean up my act later. I'll wait. You know, I'll do the things for Jesus I should be doing as I get closer, or I'll stop doing these things. Get... Because Jesus wants us to be ready for the imminent return of, his, of Jesus Christ at any point, at any time. It could happen today. We need to be ready. We, we also need to, I believe, as believers, have a sense of urgency to share our faith with those people in our sphere of influence that don't know Jesus Christ. We all know people, uh, neighbors, coworkers, family members, friends that don't know Jesus. And if the rapture were to happen today, they will be left behind to, to go through the tribulation period, I believe, according to the scriptures. There will be some people saved during the tribulation period, but not very many. And those that are saved, the Bible tells us that most of them are going to die martyrs' deaths for their faith because they won't take the mark of the beast. You do not want to be left behind during the tribulation period. And you don't want to have anybody you care about left behind. And we should be sharing our faith. Amen, church? In inviting people to church, telling people about Jesus. You know, this is one reason why we have feeding centers around the world. This is why we have our three feeding centers. And every year we give you guys an opportunity to, to pledge for these feeding centers because we have seen many kids and families come to know Jesus through these feeding centers. 
And so I, I want to encourage you guys, if you haven't signed up already, our goal is $3,000 a month. That was what we did last year. We want to do that again this year. We repledge every year. This is giving over and above our tithe and general fund just specifically to our feeding center so we can feed children, but not just feed them physically, but feed them spiritually with the gospel of Jesus. And so if, if you've been a part of this, thank you. I hope you'll continue to be. You can, we were trying to feed 300 kids a month. You know how much it costs to feed one kid a month in our feeding centers? 10 bucks, $10. Everybody can do that. I mean, that's two less stops at Starbucks. We could do that. So I hope you'll sign up and do that and put that today. I think our goal is $3,000. Last week we received 800 in pledges. So we got 2,200 to go. I know a lot of you are bringing your pledges today. And so help us to get to that goal because it's a way for us to share the gospel of Jesus Christ before it's too late. And we don't have that opportunity. And here's the last thing I would say about all of this teaching. I said it last week. I'll say it again this week. It never fails when you start talking about the rapture and the tribulation and the second coming and the end times. It freaks some people out. It scares them. And can I tell you guys, if you know this book and you know Jesus, I say it all the time. I've read the end of the book. We win. There is nothing to be afraid of if you know Jesus. There's nothing to be scared of. These are not things that should scare us. These are things that should encourage us. These are things that should excite us and that we may see them in our very lifetime. Let me close the way Jesus did in, in, in Mark chapter 13, verse 23. After Jesus said, here's the sign, the abomination of desolation. And then when that happens, you know I'm coming soon. And Jesus said, take heed. You know what he was saying? Pay attention. Wake up. Stay alert. Be ready for the return of Jesus Christ. Are you ready? Are you ready? You can be. Would you bow your heads with me today? Heads bowed, eyes closed for just a moment. If you're here today and first of all, if you've never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior... I hope what we've talked about today will get, I don't, I don't want it to scare you, but I want it to get your attention that you'd say, you know what? I don't want to be left behind. I don't, I don't want to go through the tribulation. I don't want to have to deal with the Antichrist and the mark of the beast and all that crazy stuff. I want to, I want to be taken. I want to be part of the church. I want, to, I want to be in heaven with Jesus. And here's the great news. You can prepare for that today by putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Many people sitting around you have made that decision, but have you? If you've never accepted Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, that ought to be at the top of your to-do list today to prepare. And I, I want to lead you in a prayer of faith. If you're ready to invite Jesus into your life and to be prepared for his return, I want to lead you in a prayer that you can pray from your heart to God's. Now, it's not a magic prayer or magic words, but if you put belief and faith and you mean it from your heart, Jesus will forgive you of your sins. He will adopt you as his child, as part of his family. And you better believe it. When he returns to rapture the church, you will be taken. And if you're ready to make that decision, let me help you with this prayer. You can pray this from your heart to God. It goes like this. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you died for me, for my sins. Jesus, come into my heart and my life. Prepare me for your return and for heaven. Thank you, Jesus, for forgiving and loving me. Thank you. With heads bowed and eyes closed, nobody looking around for just a moment. I don't want to embarrass anybody, but if you just prayed that prayer of faith and you meant it, I want to pray for you. 
You just made the best decision you could ever make. Would you just slip up your hand and say, pray for me, Pastor Doug. I made that decision for Jesus today, and I meant it. Would you pray for me that I would grow in my relationship with him? God bless you, ma'am. Thank you. God bless you. Thank you. Anyone else? Yes, I prayed that prayer of faith. I, I invited Jesus into my life. I want to be ready. I want to be prepared. I don't want to be left behind. Anybody else? God bless you. Thank you. A couple other hands, I believe. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you for those putting their faith and trust in you today. I pray they would grow in that relationship with you, that they would, they would spend time talking to you through prayer, that they would listen to you from your word, that as a church we would help disciple them to maturity, and they would grow in their relationship with you. Thank you that they prepared today to meet you and spend eternity with you. And with heads bowed and eyes closed, let me talk to all the believers for just a moment. How many as believers in Jesus Christ, you're here today and you would say, you know what, if I'm honest, if Jesus came today, I don't know if I'm completely ready. I know I'm ready as far as my salvation. But there's some things I know I should be doing for Jesus I'm probably not doing. I know there's some things I may be doing that I shouldn't be doing. And if he showed up today, I might be a little embarrassed. And I want to make sure that I'm doing the things that Jesus wants me to. If he returns, I want to make sure I'm prepared and I'm ready, that I'm sharing my faith, that I'm living a pure life, that I'm, that I'm ready for his return. And I think there's some things in my life that God is getting my attention about. Can I pray for you Christians all across this auditorium? Would you lift up your hand for prayer if that's you? God bless you. Hands everywhere. Hands everywhere. Mine's with you. Let me pray for all of us. Father, I pray that these words that are truth, that we would believe them, that this is not a myth, this is not a fable, this is not a fairy tale, just as your word has proven to be true over and over again about future events, just as we've seen 483 years of this prophecy fulfilled. We believe and know the last seven years will be fulfilled. We know that the, you're going to rapture the church. We know there's going to be a tribulation. There's going to be an antichrist. And we know you're going to come back. And Lord, we want to be ready for that. We want to be prepared to meet you. That our lives are in right relationship and fellowship with you. That we're sharing our faith. And we're living lives that will be pleasing to you when you return. And may we be doers of your word, God, and not just hearers. May we be prepared. May we be excited and anticipating what we believe is your soon return. And then until then, we're working hard to please you, to share our faith, to honor and glorify you. Until that day, you get the ultimate honor and glory that you deserve that we'll talk about next week. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Can we celebrate decisions for Jesus this morning? Amen. Um, I hope you guys understood that. I believe you did. If you have any questions, I'll be in the courtyard afterward and try to fill in the blanks to help you guys out. But uh, I believe in you guys, and I believe you can get this stuff, and I believe it's important. Um, next week, we're going to see the literal second coming of Christ, the event the Bible has been talking about from beginning to end. You, you, you're going to learn some things probably many of you have not heard before, so you don't want to miss next Sunday as we close out this Back to the Future series. Have you enjoyed it so far? Hope you guys have. It's been fun to teach. Um, if you made a decision for Christ to accept him today, please let us know that on your connection card. Drop that in the offering bucket when it goes by. If you're a first-time guest, uh, thanks for being our guest today. Hope you'll drop your connection card in as well. Uh, let's stand now. Let's respond in a time of worship. Worship through our giving. Thank you guys for being here today.